Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I'm your host, Ben Page, and this is your source for hunting, outdoors, and conservation conversations. In an eclectic and sometimes unorganized fashion, I appreciate you coming by. All right, today on the show we've got Doyle Weaver with Wild Valley Wild Valley Wild Valley Outfitters uh, out of Saskatchewan. How you doing today, Doyle? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? Doing really well. Doing really well. Uh, excited to have you on the show. I've been looking to talk to somebody about uh, hunting up in Canada for a, a long time. And uh, I'm glad we had some mutual friends that could uh, put us into contact. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about your your service and how long you've been, uh, how long you guys been going on, and uh, you got some exciting stuff going on, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, this is actually our our first year uh, of operation for Wild Valley Outfitters. Um, uh, this will be, I think, my fourth year guiding in Canada so I have some experience up there and um just got a really cool opportunity to kind of do my own thing and um I'm able to do it with my my dad and and one of my brothers and a buddy a couple buddies as well so no it's a it's a good awesome. opportunity no what part of the country are you from for the listener I'm from Virginia I'm from western Virginia which is kind of a kind of crazy it's not really your typical waterfowl spot especially the part of Virginia I'm in um, it's not like I'm over on the shore, or big diver country, anything like that, kind of in the mountains. So, um, my love for waterfowling was kind of a, um, uh, unique thing from where I'm from because everybody's deer hunters and turkey hunters around here. Did you do much deer hunting growing up? Oh, yeah. We had, uh, <clears throat> I'm a, I'm a farmer. Um, kind of that's what I do the rest of the year along with my, my brothers and my dad. And, um, yeah, we have a family farm. We grew up deer hunting and turkey hunting and a little bit of everything. And and dad did a lot of waterfowling with his buddies. And there weren't many of them around, but um, he took us when we were younger. And I just kind of latched onto it. It's something that you don't have to be quiet. And you get to do it with your buddies and sit in the blind and have a good time. That's what draws a lot of people to the sport. And I just kind of took off with it from there. And now you guys mostly hunt. Um, you guys mostly hunt geese where you're from, right? Yeah, we do. We hunt. We hunt a lot of Canada geese mostly. Um, our our puddle duck population isn't crazy. Um, you know, with with the uh, Atlantic Flyway that is this year, they cut the limits way down. They cut uh, the mallard limit to two, and the Canada goose limit to one, except for the zone that I live in. Um, they say that. <clears throat> mostly what we're shooting is resident geese is what they call it. And so the resident zone in the state of Virginia is still staying at five birds a man, which is, it's been like that for 
25 or 30 years. So we weren't affected by the limits, maybe just for the ducks, but um, we have a good population of geese, a lot of residents, a lot of golf course geese, um, stuff like yeah, that. Now, I was going to ask, wh- why do you think, what, what's this resident zone about? Well, it, I, we're in the valley. We're in the Shenandoah Valley is where I live. And so with the big mountain ranges, we just don't get a, a big part of the migration, if hardly any of the migration. Uh, we get it late in the year. But um, a lot of our birds are what they consider resident geese, not really part of the Atlantic Flyway. And so they've, they've cut the state into zones. Um, and we've always been, um, well, as, as long as I can remember, five birds a man hunting during the regular season. And so they just kind of cut us out of the whole flyway predicament thing. And we've kind of stayed um, out of it just because it's what they consider us. So, um, yeah, that's that's why they've done that. So, when did you first start guiding? What got you into that? Well, you know, um, you know, it's just something that uh, I've always kind of been drawn to. It's like you know how it is when you, you grow up and you do certain things, and they're just not you wish you were hunting. They're not as much fun as hunting, and it's like, man, I tell you what, it'd be really fun if I could do this for part of a living. And that's kind of a long shot, but I just. Um, I just kind of honed my craft, so to speak, and just <clears throat> try to get as good as I can on a call and scouting and finding birds. And then I just talked to anybody that would listen. I sent lots of emails, phone calls, and a lot of them, I got a lot of response back and some of them were good and a lot of them were bad. And then they'd figure out that I was a 19 year old kid. And then that kind of put the kibosh on a lot of that stuff. But, um, I found a place, uh, north of the border, which was crazy. And, uh, they were able to give me a shot and, um, you know, it's kind of, to me, Canada is kind of the big leagues of waterfowling and going from no experience guiding to, to guiding in Canada and Saskatchewan is just kind of a, was shell shocking for somebody, somebody like me that, I mean, a good, a good feed back home for geese is 250 to 300 birds at the most. And so we cut our teeth on, on doing it the right way and just. <laughs> trying to get the birds that were going to come to us. And then you go to Canada and you're sitting under thousands and thousands of birds. So it was just kind of a two sides of a coin. And it was really neat to kind of, kind of come into my own and, and <clears throat> really kind of gain some skills doing it in a place like Saskatchewan. Yeah. What what was it like? What was your first hunt in Canada like? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, I got to Canada. Um, Actually, I actually made it into camp. Uh, they knew I was a new guy. So I went to camp about 12 days before our first clients came in. I think they wanted to see how green I was and kind of beat some of the rust off a little bit. So I got in even before the other guides, the other, it was just me and the, and the guys that owned the camp. And so we set up and whatever and said, Hey, we'll take you out on a duck hunt with some local guys and whatever. I scouted. And of course my, my jaw is slack the whole time. I'm just cannot believe how many birds are up there. And so they put me and some local guys out in a barley field and it's, I mean, it's warm. You think you're going up north and it's going to be cold and sweatshirts and this and that. And this was the 5th or 6th of September and it was warm. And I just remember sitting in a layout blind and there was, I've never had so many mosquitoes on me. We were sitting between two sloughs, uh, big like potholes. And the amount of mosquitoes coming off those things was nuts. I mean, I, I remember counting 10 or 12 of them on the, on the front side of my hand when I was trying to call ducks in at first light, I mean, it was stupid. And I just, just remember that. I'm like, man, where am I? And then we cut into some ducks and we ended up, I think there was five or six of us and we shot, we shot our ducks in like 45 minutes. And I was like, man, this is, I'll never not come to Canada. This place is awesome. And that's just, yeah, I'll never forget that. That first day hunting, it was just kind of a, it was just an experience. I mean, there's nothing else you can really say about it. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what the deal is, but I was up in Wisconsin once. Mm-hmm. That's not as far south. I've been uh, I've been fishing in the Boundary Waters before, and I remember like the mosquitoes. I you, you could hunt them with shotguns. I felt like they were yeah, that they, big. They'll carry you off. Um, <laughs> what do a- you What do you do now uh, that you've got a couple years under your belt to combat that? Well, I mean, thermocells are man's best friend up there. You get they. Sometimes they're a little tricky bringing them across the border, but I mean, there's Cabela's around and stuff. But I tell you what, man, I don't care how much the things cost. Getting the thermocells worth it. 
stick a couple of this, put stick oh. a couple of those in between the blinds and just kind of that. And I tell you what, one thing: once you start shooting, I don't know if it's the gunpowder burning or what. Once you get a cut, a couple volleys, they're not bad. But setting up decoys till first light when you start shooting is miserable. And when you sit in the layout blind, you got that netting over your face. Once they get in the blind. It's like they're smart enough to get in the blind, but they can't quite get out of the blind because the netting, everything's closed up, and they just eat their way. Ah, it's just awful. I to, it's just feel like you're crawling. You got skeeters all over you. <laughs> but no, you after yeah. you learn yeah, after, those you learn cells after a do while. a lot of lot of work. Oh man, they are. They're a godsend for sure in that early season. Absolutely. All right, so you know you already alluded to it a little bit. You said it was tricky getting those thermocells uh, across the border, but uh, what uh, what other what other things can you expect when you're crossing the border into Canada? You know, it, I always tell guys that are coming up to hunt or or whatever. You're talking to guys about booking hunts or whatever, and um, I tell you what, if you if you're just if you're nice to the to the um, customs guys and are respectful, just like with anything. They'll, they'll give it back to you with interest. But if you come up there and you're cocky and you get your camo hat on tight and you're mouthy to them, then they'll tear you apart and check everything you got and do everything but give you a colonoscopy. And I've seen it done to people before. I mean, it's just they'll, they, I mean, they'll treat you the way that you treat them. And so I tell guys, I said, man, just be confident. I mean, just tell them what you're doing. There's no need to tell them anything otherwise and, and just be nice and they'll, they'll, Unless the guy's had a really bad day or his old lady's yelling at him at home, you'll be okay. But just be prepared. I mean, have you, have all your documents in order. Um, biggest thing is you're taking a gun, obviously, to go duck hunting. There's a thing called a gun declaration from Canada or the province you're going to. And it's just a prerequisite thing that you fill out. You put your serial number from your gun on, your model number, uh, barrel length, just stuff like that. And you go through and have your paperwork ready and look at it check your passport, give you a stamp and send you through. And I think you pay $20 for a fee to get your gun through. And it's not a big deal. It's, it's people worry about it too much. Um, you just need to be prepared as all. Well. I mean, that's, that's the big point of advice that I can give. Now, where do you, where do you get that format just on the, the customs? Yeah. I mean, you website. You type, yeah. I mean, honestly, you can just type in gun declaration form of, Saskatchewan or Alberta. I'm not sure if it's all the same for all the provinces. I kind of assume it's not. Um, um, but yeah, you just Google it and you'll, you'll have the updated one come up. Um, it's actually something that we'll, we're looking to put on our website for guys booking hunts so that they can access it right from the website and, and just get that filled out. And so we'll have that up shortly. I was just kind of thinking about that today, but. And what's the, what's the ammo situation like? Is it the same or? The ammo situation is, I believe it's eight boxes. I think it's 200 rounds a man. Um, the, uh, you can bring, yeah, you can bring 200 rounds a man. I think you can bring extra, but you have to pay a duty for it, like a duty tax or fee. And that, that I think yeah. they can kind of gouge you for that. I think it would be better just to bring what you're allowed to bring. And then I mean, we got a Cabela's 45 minutes from the lodge. So, and a couple other sporting goods stores where you'll be able to get shells and ammo if, if and when you need it. So. Um, I just tell guys to bring what you can bring and then, um, first evening off or whatever, we'll run into town and, and, and get you set up with some of that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's not like we're way out in the boonies and we, we can't go get stuff, which is really nice. So. Right. Right. Uh, what kind of, what other things shouldn't I bring with me if I'm going to be driving in? What, what, what you should, or you shouldn't bring. Yeah, what 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 will hold me up there? What's something that could, you know, hinder me I mean, from crossing the border? Ammunition lying around, unboxed, um, stuff like that. Um, open, like alcohol, open container stuff that's like not boxed up or um, half drank stuff, like stuff like that. I've never had any problems with it, but I know guys that have um, stuff like that. Um, I know guys, it's. The chew up there is kind of expensive, so I've seen guys try to smuggle it in or do whatever. And if they get the idea of that, I mean, you can have a long, you can have a long, tedious day at the border while they. I've heard of guys getting their their dashes taken off their cars and the seats taken out of the truck, and I just 
anything and everything just because they're just convinced that you're trying to take something through that you're not telling them about. But like I said, if, if you, if you just clean your truck out a little bit, make sure you don't have those extra 30 out six shells rolling around your floorboards or whatever, an extra pack of half smoked carton of cigarettes or pack of cigarettes or whatever, just stuff like that. I mean, sometimes they'll see stuff. So no tobacco or alcohol can cross the border. You can, you just not, don't have it partially drank or torn apart or whatever. Just make sure it's in, it's packaged and it's secured. Uh, that would be my only thing. Maybe I, maybe I misspoke there a little bit, but you can take stuff across and there's only certain amounts that you can take and it says it all on the, on the, um, on their page there, Saskatchewan Ministry of, um, transportation or something like that. It's pretty, pretty easy to get a hold of that information and you can take stuff across. You just need to, to make sure that it's kind of secured and, and stuff like that. But I mean, trust me, they like telling you what's so if I got and a, what's not. So yeah. If I got a half a can of dip on me, is that a mm-hmm. no go? If you have dip. Wow. Okay. Well, no, if you, if you have dip, I mean, you can take, I think they say you can take a roll of dip, which is like five cans maybe. So you can take a roll of dip with you. And then I think anything extra you have to pay a duty on, if I'm not mistaken. You can take some, but I okay. mean, for guys that dip, dip pretty seriously, that's in your hunting. It's not going to last you a whole, a whole, a whole lot of days, I'm sure. So, um, I've had, I've hunted with lots of guys and I've guided with lots of guys that dip and they seem to really cut back when they're up in Canada just because it's, it's kind of pricey up there. I mean, they, they put a heavy tax on anything related to tobacco, unfortunately for guys that dip and smoke. But, uh, but yeah, uh, it's, I got you. So, uh, can you, you can also, can you fly in too? Yeah. A lot of times, a lot, I, I don't, I have a dog, I, I train a retriever, but I never really take him up to Canada. The guys that I worked for previously weren't real big on dogs for, for some reason or another, but I usually just flew it kind of saved on, on time and, and stuff like that. Um, and flying is a lot easier crossing in than driving. Um, I mean, when you fly in, you get off with a plane full of guys that are going through customs too. And that's just, I mean, I've never gone through customs any longer than about 10 minutes getting off a flight. Um, but, but yeah, it either way is, is not terrible. I mean, I've heard the horror stories, but they're just not, I mean, <laughs> they're few and far between for sure. Flying, flying to me is an easier way, but you know, when you're running an outfitter, it's hard to get a couple trucks and trailers and all your gear up there flying. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to have to do a big border yeah, crossing sure. this year. I'm sure that's fun. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, what's it like? Uh, what do you got to do to bring a dog over? Um, I did bring a dog one time, uh, about six years ago. I think it was my first trip to Canada. All you have to do there is have an updated, um, uh, his shots updated with papers, just kind of saying that he does have indeed have this, the kind of normal shot, I think distemper and stuff like that. Those type of shots. I think there's two or three updated. And, and then paperwork from the vet saying that, Hey, he does have what he needs to have. And I've taken my dog through and they never even looked at him. They never even checked his papers. And I've heard that a lot, but you want to have it on there just in case they, they want to take the time and go through everything and check. So taking a dog is pretty easy too. I mean, it's it's really not a big deal. Lots of guys do it every year. All right. So as you, uh, where's the best, uh, I guess crossing point? Um, to where, where you guys are at, uh, you're located in, it's Regina, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's the Canadians call it Regina. That's what they, um, you know, it take, takes you a little bit to get used to that, obviously. But, um, for Americans, it just, it looks like Regina like, spells like Regina. So a lot of guys just call it Regina, but now when you're, you're talking to the Canadians, that's what they call it. But yeah, we're, we're just north of, of Regina or Regina. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where we, we enter. Um, we enter, we, we kind of go through, um, we, we just, there's a couple different border crossings. I mean, they're not, not any one or the other is any, any different. I mean, I mean, those ones kind of out there. In the so you wouldn't recommend aware. one over the other or something? Like I really that. wouldn't. I've crossed through two different ones that kind of the, the ones you get, I think there's only two that you go through for Saskatchewan. And I really haven't noticed anything different. I mean, they're both kind of, I mean, it's not like you're crossing through to get into 
Ontario or close to any of the bigger cities. So they're just really not too busy, I wouldn't say. Uh, I mean, the one time we went through it three in the afternoon and the, the border agent came over to stamp our pre- passports and he had to change the date on his stamp because he hadn't had anybody there that day. So, I mean, it was three in the afternoon. He hadn't seen the single car. So they were sitting. I think the one guy was sitting in the back with his feet up watching Seinfeld when we came into the office. So he wasn't, they weren't, they definitely weren't busy at all. But Gotcha. And yeah. so how, how far north of the border um, do you have to go? And you can just say time wise, not miles or anything like that, but mm-hmm. to really get into some ducky territory. I mean, shoot, there's, I, I've, I've driven through and I mean, you'll see it in a few miles. I mean, it is the prairie pothole region of, of North America. So, I mean, especially if you're coming out of the Dakotas or whatever, I mean, that would be more, a little bit more Manitoba side, but I mean, it's still in the pothole region. I mean, there's immediately almost, you'll see ducks. I mean, you don't really don't have to drive too far to get into, to good agriculture and, and, and potholes and water and lakes and whatever else. And it's just kind of, it feels like it's a little instantaneous. Uh, uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just so different than anywhere else. And there's just the, the amount of ducks there is, is kind of unreal. Now I was told once, I think in uh, some sort of social studies or geography class or something like that, that, uh, I think 90% of Canadians live within 50 miles of the border. Um, is, you know, is there, can you kind of see that? I mean, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's plenty of people in in um in those larger cities and stuff. But I mean, it is true. I mean, the farming little farming towns here and there. It kind of I've done some hunting out in North Dakota, and it kind of reminded me of that. I mean, where I used to work, the the town that we we guided out of, there's a small town there, and it was home to 62 people. And that was it. It was 62 people who lived there. And then there were some farmers out throughout the countryside. And then that was basically it. And then 15, 20 minutes away, there was a decent sized town that, that had grocery stores and whatever else. But even there, there was probably only 2000 people lived there. And it just, yeah, they kind of dot the countryside a little bit, but yeah, you, it's, there's not a lot of people living up. There's a lot of ground out there between small towns and, and some of them are considered villages or so small still, but I mean, it's, it's impressive. So on your way up there or while you're out hunting, where, where's the, where's the best place, um, kind of chain wise, I guess, to, uh, either grab groceries or grab a, grab a bite to eat or something like that. You know, I mean, they do have like, I mean, they have kind of the normal fast food type deals, but a lot of it, they have a, a co-op system. They say it's kind of, I think it's run by the province would be kind of a government run. They just call it the co-op and they have gas stations, grocery stores, uh, feed mills, hardware stores. And, um, there's lots of those around and, and that's kind of the basic thing that people go to. I mean, those grocery stores every now and then the larger places have Walmarts kind of and, and stuff like that. Um, but no, yeah, when you need something, usually there's a co-op around. It's kind of what we, kind of what we rely on as far as getting fuel and then getting groceries and nails and screws or anything for blind stuff like that. I mean, the co-op is kind of what we rely on as far as that stuff goes. So, okay. So it's, you know, it's prairie pothole region um, mm-hmm. and, you know, a very agrarian society. What's, you know, what's it like getting permission out there and, and scouting? Can you kind of tell me a little bit about that? You know, I, I said it before with the border thing, but those people up there, they're generally very nice. And I, I if you show someone respect up there, you're going to get it back with interest is, is kind of a good way to put it. I mean, these guys, they're, they're farmers. They're out there for one purpose. They're growing their crops. They're getting their crops off to make money. And, um, the way that they practice agriculture up there, they do a lot of what they call swathing where they, they cut their crops and lay it into rows to dry before they combine and harvest it. And while the crops lay in piles and rows, I mean, it's just easy pickings for, for snow geese and Canada geese and specks and ducks and cranes and whatever. And so when they pile in there, I mean, you talk about six, eight, ten thousand mallards going through there and you've, I'm sure everyone's seen ducks feed. They feed in a hurry, buddy. I mean, they're, 
they're like ants out there crawling through the field and they just are on the move and they can really clean out. I mean, those fields are big up there, but they can really clean out crops in a hurry. And so, you know, you just don't really have the struggle that you do in the States a lot of times um, uh, to get permission, um, as well as the fact that uh, you're just not allowed to lease land up there. So there's, you don't have to deal with day leasing or, or permanent leasing or anything like that. It's on a permission basis. And, um, you know what? I mean, the farmer, especially the ducks, not a lot of guys hunt ducks and geese up there. They're deer hunters or moose hunters or whatever. And so they just consider them rats. I mean, it's like, I mean, they just eat, Hey man, you mind if we go out and hunt and blah, blah, blah and tell them who you are. And, um, if you're affiliated with somebody, just tell them and, and kind of let them know. And they, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. And so you build up a good rapport with enough farmers and landowners around there and, and get yourself a good reputation as a good guy. You clean up your trash. You, you don't leave gates open if there's ever gates, just stuff like that. And, you know, you, you kind of pave a path for yourself to be successful. I mean, that's, so yeah, I mean, you just treat, <laughs> you just got to treat the farm. You just got to treat everybody, all those guys up there, their land as if it were your own and, and you'll be just, just fine. And shouldn't have any problems getting permission. Yeah. What's your, what's your typical pitch, you know, sound like, you know, when you knock on the door, or- you know, I just, I, I just tell them my name, tell them where I'm from and pretty quickly they can, they can, uh, concur that I'm in fact not Canadian. And so a lot of times that'll be the first bit of conversation is oh yeah where you're from and then you talk about that and and, you know the pitch basically is is you let them know where you're from and what you're doing and that you're looking to hunt and i mean i've had the conversations last up to an hour i mean you just don't know i mean they're really friendly up there sure it's it's not every conversation is a little different i've ended up eating breakfast on the front porch with a elder couple while we watched the field that i wanted to hunt and and watch them I was able to spot the field from the front porch. So, you know, it, it's always a little bit different. Um, you just, you just, it's hard to tell. It's, it, they're just, they're different folks up there, but they're very nice. I will say that. If you were to venture to guess on like what your, you know, success ratio is with uh, approaches, what, what would you say it would be? I mean, it's, it's gotta be. Um, and I would even say it, it this is without, Going into, okay, someone else already has permission to hunt it or they would let me have permission. I mean, I've only, I've only had, I think two downright no, we don't allow any hunting. Um, I've had a couple that, hey, come back next week and hunt because the ground's a little wet, but I, I mean, very rarely do they just say, no, you're not allowed to hunt. Um, and <laughs> the, the, the reason I was, I, I got a no from a lady is because, um, she knew I was American. And she didn't like our president. And so she didn't let me hunt. That was why. So it, it was, it I just got a flat out, flat out no, because I was American. And yeah, that's, <laughs> I think she had, a, she had a few more problems and just not letting me hunt. So no, we just, you know what we did? We just <laughs> sure. went, we went two sections over where there was half the amount of geese, but we still shot a limit. So, <laughs> you know, you just, there's, there's enough birds up there and there's enough opportunity. I mean, if you just put your head down and you scout good and, and just and just kind of keep with it. I mean, don't get your head down when something doesn't work out. I mean, there's coyotes and eagles and stuff, and your hunt can fall apart in the snap of a finger. So you just kind of have to be on the game and always have that extra hunt or that extra pothole with ducks on a loaf or something like that in your back pocket. Um, and that's one thing guys get in trouble with up there is they scout one feed, they scout one particular thing, and they put all their money on it, and they... Scout, 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 and then it gets down to nitty gritty, and they go asking, "Oh, well, that guy's nephew's hunting that in the morning, and now I don't have a hunt." So, you you have to approach it in a totally different. I mean, when you got to come back to the lodge, absolutely with a hunt for the next morning or for that afternoon, even. Um, there's a certain kind of pressure there that um, you got to drive back to the lodge with a hunt or an option to hunt somewhere um, for those guys. I mean, it's for a vacation; they're paying you money; they're coming up there, so you. You got to deliver. So now you, you mentioned uh, a little bit about their farming practices and uh, talking mm-hmm. a lot about hunting fields, but uh, you did also mention that you're hunting some, some potholes and some water out there. Uh, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't hunt it very often. 
Um, I mean, it's just like anything. You, you want to stay off the roost. You want to stay off big bodies of water where there's lots of birds roosting. But just like with anything, you can find small sheet water, small potholes where they're loafing or they're drinking. Um, uh, they call them sloughs up there, uh, little cattail ponds, potholes, stuff like that. They call them sloughs. And so um, if we're going to hunt any water, and, and really the only time that we've ever needed to hunt water is early in the year when it's really warm. You know what warm weather can do to ducks. I mean, um, it just makes yeah. them jumpy and they don't want to feed and they'd rather just sit on the pothole and eat the bugs and the crap and whatever else is in that little pothole. And so they'll just kind of jump around water to water. And so what we try to do if we ever need to hunt a hunt a water is we try to hit what we call a transition slough. Um, a lot of times, even in later in the year, what they'll do is birds will get straight off the water. They'll go to another small water in between where the roost is and where the feed is. And they'll just go in there and they'll sit for 20 minutes, 10 minutes, five seconds, and then they'll go to the feed. Or they'll go to the feed, feed for a half hour, and then hop up and go back to the saloon and get a drink and then go back. And so if you can find something like that, um, that is not right on top of your feed, um, that really works. Or if, if you've got a spot um, in, in a field where, where they're feeding, and sometimes early in the morning they'll get off the roost, they'll come in, circle the field hit that water and then they'll walk out of the water into the field, which can get a little tricky, but, but we can, when I say we're hunting water, we're not really hunting water. We call it a, like a water to field spread. Um, what we'll do is we'll set, <clears throat> we'll set maybe 18 floaters in the water, kind of pick a spot where they're walking out or they're, they're, they're hopping out and we'll put the blind on the water's edge facing out into the field and play the wind. And then we'll set full bodies kind of going up into the field with some spinners or whatever that, kind of draw them. So they come in, they see the ducks in the water that makes them comfortable. And I mean, you can have, I've had fantastic shoots doing that before. And you know, if it just turns out the wind gets a little goofy or they just prefer the water, I mean, you just pick your spinner up, you throw it in the water and you shoot them there. So, I mean, we do that a decent amount too. I mean, you can just, you just kind of have to kind of go with the flow and, and just kind of figure out what, especially with ducks. I mean, you just never quite know what they're going to do. So you just got to give yourself every opportunity to be successful when it comes to those boogers up there. Yeah. So, you know, you pick or choose, uh, is it morning hunts or is it afternoon hunts? You know, I, it's kind of crazy up there. You're not allowed to shoot dark geese, which is speckle bellies of Canada's in the, in the afternoon. If you're non-resident after 12 PM. So what we try to do typically is we try to do, um, Canada geese, snow geese, something like that, specs and stuff in the morning, and then predominantly do afternoon shoots for ducks. Um, now we will do afternoon shoots for snow geese. And if we got a, if we got a really good field for, um, if we got a really good field for like, let's say Canada's and ducks, and we go in there and we smack 30 Canada's or even a limit of 40 Canada's. Um, if you got five guys and the ducks are coming in heavy and say, Hey guys, we got to hunt tonight. If you want to hold off on your ducks, we'll go duck hunting tonight. If you want to shoot them here, um, we just may have to, this just may be your hunt for the day. But I, I tell you what, a lot of guys will just do that. And you shoot 40 ducks and 40 geese in a morning hunt. I mean, a lot of guys are, <laughs> they're happy to go back to the, to the lodge in the afternoon and, and put their feet up and crack a couple bud lights and talk about how awesome their hunt was that morning. I mean, shooting 80 birds in a hunt is, is pretty spectacular anyway. Slice it. So. Um, that's what we typically try to What's, do. What's uh, what are the limits up there? The limits? I mean, I tell you what, Canada has some of the, the most, I mean, well, it has some of the best limits in the country. If you're, if you're a shooter, um, you know, they have, you can shoot, uh, eight ducks a man. Um, the only slot limit for ducks is pintails. You can shoot four pintails. Um, there's no hen limit. Um, just because early in the year stuff isn't plumed out. There's a, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the drakes are still kind of gray or brown on their head. And so you can't really identify them until you're, you're holding the thing. And that's kind of hard to do <laughs> when their feet down on a spinner. So, um, they don't have any hen limits. Um, you can shoot, uh, eight dark geese. Only five of those can be specs. Um, and then you can shoot 20 snows. So, I mean, you can. You could put the, oh, and you can also shoot sandhill cranes. I'm sorry. You can shoot five sandhill cranes. Um, which if, if you've never done that before, that is a cool hunt, man. It just feels, 
it just feels wrong. It feels like you're shooting blue herons. <laughs> I have a lot of guys say that they're just big and awkward looking and long legs. And, and I've had a guy say, man, it feels like we're sitting on a koi pond and we're shooting blue, blue herons when they come in. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's legal up here. You can shoot these things. So that's a lot of fun too. Um, we'll do that in the afternoon. Uh, when we got sand hills, um, they, we don't have them all year. We probably have them till the second week of October, but, but yeah, I'll tell you what the limit. What's it like shooting those? What's it like shooting those sand hills with uh, with non toxic or, or steel? It's like it feels like you're in prehistoric times and you got pterodactyls coming at you. They're just they're loud. I don't know if you ever heard a sand hill crane. They're loud. They're noisy. They're obnoxious. I'm from Nebraska, so dude. I tell you what, when you're trying to listen for for Canada geese get off a roost in the morning, so you start calling and flagging at them, and you got six hundred. Sandhill cranes, a thousand sandhill cranes on a roost in your field. You can't hear anything. I mean, it's like, it's deafening. And you're like, get out of here. I had guys hunting, I had Canada's. And, and what it was is a group got off a different roost and, and came by and they weren't in my field. And they flew over and left. And so my first group that was coming to my field got up. And you know that, you know the deal with Canada geese. If a group flies over you and the group that's coming to you sees them, I call it the parade effect. Those guys are going the other way and they'll see those others flying and then those will go the other way and the next birds and the next birds and the next birds. And before you know it, your hunt's kind of screwed. Finally, we could hear our birds and they got up and we had a fantastic hunt after that. But it was just like, you just, you couldn't, I don't know, you just can't, you can't do anything when you got them things right on top of you. They're just so obnoxious and loud, but they are fun to hunt when they do it right for you. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, so what would you say are, are there any principal differences in scouting for, for birds south of the border? Um, I mean, excuse me, north of the border. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any difference? Yeah, I would say, and that was one of the biggest things that I had to learn, uh, going up there. Uh, the scouting is totally different. And, um, and that's just kind of where experience comes in. And I'm far from the most experienced guy up there, but, you do learn certain things and there's a, there's kind of a theory that I go by. Um, it, I call it, I don't know how, are you familiar with elk hunting at all? Have you ever heard of, um, there's a herd bull and a satellite bull or satellite bulls around that there'll be smaller elk around the main bull. And so when you're hunting elk, you always want to go after that main herd bull, but you have to go through some of the satellite bulls, they say. And so I think it's the same thing with feeds up there, especially for geese. Um, I call them satellite feeds. The smaller feeds, they look good. Um, they might, they, I mean, you might be able to go in there and hunt and do very well, but there's always going to be that main feed in that area around that roost. Um, so you might come on to a scene and say, Hey, there's five or six hundred big candidates here. There's two thousand mallards. This looks good. And I'll kind of throw a flag above mine and say, huh? Well, I know there's more on that roost that I'm scouting and I'll go a couple miles down the road and all of a sudden I'll come over and I'll see, oh crap, there's 2,500 big Canada's and there's 6,000 mallards. So, and the thing about that is, is, is you just have to, to keep checking. You don't want to find a hunt and sit on it and that be it. Because if you get on a satellite feed, what I like to call it, and, and the next morning you go in and you set up and hunt and all of a sudden those birds just decide to go and sit with the majority of them that are a couple of miles away on that mega feed, then you're not going to kill a single bird. So that's where you can get yourself in trouble a little bit because there's just so much food. There's so many options for them there. I mean, you can sit in a 600 acre pea field and there's birds all over it, but right next door, right across the road, there's another 350 acre pea field there and on the other side you got a barley field that was just cut and it's just like there's so much food there that scouting is so important because you got to be on the most consistent feed and picking through that can be kind of tough so maybe not taking the first thing that you find i guess yeah and, and you know what a big thing is is go when you find a hunt it, it's hard especially for guys that don't do it a lot and it's still hard for me to this day you go in let's say you see um, well, you know, a big snow goose feed and it's 15, 20,000 geese. It's a lot of geese. And you're sitting there and these big spins are coming in and you just want to sit there and watch and say, man, this is cool. But it, it, basically what you're doing is you're just wasting time as, as funny as that sounds. You find a good feed. What I do is I like to just take a snapshot of that hunt 
Uh, which way is my winds going? Where these birds are coming from? What kind of hides out there do I got? Uh, fence line, tree rows, uh, rock piles, uh, grassy sloughs, whatever out there. If there's some weed patches, we can put layouts in and just take a really quick mental snapshot and then inventory. Okay. Do I have permission on this field previously? Do I know who owns this? Can I get permission? And then I get permission as fast as I can. Go get permission and then I move on. The way I scout is I like to run it like a trap line. And when you run a trap line, you don't go to the first trap and sit there and, and look at either you trap something or you didn't trap something, but you don't sit there for 20 minutes and watch your trap. You reset it, you take the whatever out that you caught and you move on. And so I'll have four or five, six different feeds or a couple different roosts in a big general region that I'm always running. So if I'm scouting for three and a half, four hours in the afternoon, very rarely do I stop my truck and that burns a lot of fuel, but I'm able to get the best hunt that I possibly can in that area because I'm always moving. I'm always taking small snap snapshots of my hunts. And so I can inventory, okay, I got a good Canada goose hunt here. I got a better snow goose hunt there. And then I got a backup duck hunt here if all everything hits the fan. And so that's kind of the thing that I've learned up there is to just don't stop, keep going and just inventory everything you have to try to pull the best hunt you can for your guys. Now, does Onyx or base maps uh, work up there? You got to buy a, a different program or? Unfortunately, no. Um, we've looked into that a lot. Um, we're either going off of uh, locals that help us, um, uh, you know, RM maps. Uh, they call them RM maps, just landowner maps. And they're just big scrolls. I mean, huge paper maps. You got to figure out where you're at and then we grid it off and who owns what and just. Trying to find that number, you call uh, uh, one of your buddies at the local and say, hey, I got this guy's farmhouse here. It's this area and he might know who it is or has a cousin or a brother that knows who it is. And you just kind of have to figure it out as you go. And, you know, once you hunt an area long enough, you get to know that, okay, this guy owns 10,000 acres here. He farms a lot of land and you can sit down with him or whatever and you can say, hey, this is where I own here. Um, this is my neighbor. And, and you get relationships with guys and they'll help you out with that. So. Um, it's tough. Yeah, that would destroy cold. my current. Yeah, that would destroy my current process that I have for for scouting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so getting a hold of those plate maps or those uh, what you call them RN maps? RN maps. Yeah, they're like a I forget like a I don't know what the RM stands for. It's like a something municipality. Because different regions they have a from like this town to this town. They have a gridded out landowner map. And so you have to have them for all the areas that you're able to hunt. And we're able to hunt a lot of land. I mean, we're licensed to hunt, uh, just shy of nine million acres. So we've got a lot of land that we can cover if we want to. Now you don't need all that, but we're licensed to hunt a whole heck of a lot of land if we need it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a big thing. I think that if somebody was trying to go DIY up there, mm-hmm. that I think that would, that would shock them. Yeah. I mean, you just get your maps and just talk to guys, man. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to talk to guys. You see a, a, a guy on an old dirt road and he's pulled over or something or whatever. I mean, just they nine out of 10 guys enjoy talking to you. I mean, I've, and, and the thing is, is, is they're pretty lenient about uh, like if you need to pull over in a ditch and, or, uh, pull off the road and glass a little bit. I've had, I mean, around where I'm from, if you're sitting on somebody's land, even if it's in the ditch or something, you might get shot at. You don't know. I mean, it's the States. I mean, people are pretty protective of their piece of ground, but up there, it's just kind of whatever. So I've been up there and I've pulled off the side of the road and just was glassing some birds and had a truck pulling behind me. And I was like, Oh no. And I'm already kind of thinking about my apology in my head. Like, I'm sorry. And he comes up and he goes, Hey, hey, bud, how you doing? I'm doing good. I told him who I worked for, and he goes, oh, yeah, okay. He goes, "You look so you're looking for ducks then, eh? And I said, yeah. He said, well, this is not what you want. He said, follow me. We hop in a truck, and I follow him down. I bet I followed him five miles. And he pulled over on this little old goat trail. He said, drive up there. He said, it's my land. And I drove up through this field up on top of this hill, and I mean, it was just white with snow geese down there. And he just showed me a field, and he said, mm. go have at it. He said, gave me his name, phone number, and said, have at it. I got birds all over my place. Just call me. And I mean, that's how you get a big lander. I mean, stuff like that. Just don't be afraid to talk to guys. They're, they're, they're nine. Like I said, 99% of the guys are very friendly and they'll help you out. I mean, and they don't, 
they don't like the ducks and they want them going off their fields. So, but yeah, you just got to put yourself out there a little bit. And that's hard for some people. It's hard for what's me the, when I first started. What's the cell phone? What's the cell phone plan like up there? How how does that work? You know, um, you, you know. Yeah, you I know guess what? It I was take that for granted. Yeah. Well, it's good. I have Verizon, and Verizon did this thing where they included free Canada and Mexico here, like five or six years ago, or five years ago. And so I've never had to worry about it because I have Verizon. Now, if you don't have Verizon, you're kind of screwed. I think you can set up something for Canada with other providers. Um, but yeah, I mean, Verizon has this deal with, there's like three different providers up there, like Bell, Rogers, and Sastel. And <clears throat> what it is is Verizon has deals with them. So whichever tower I'm closest to, it just jumps onto that network. So 90% of the time I have great service, even, even if I'm out in the boondocks, which is so helpful because I mean, I'll be in the middle of nowhere and I need to get, get on my Google Maps and figure out where in the heck I'm at so I can get home. I mean, it's, it can be that bad or you get turned around in the field. You just don't know. Um, I mean, funny story. We had a guy guiding and, and, uh, <clears throat> there's a big, there was a huge cell phone tower with a big light on the top of it. Um, right in town where our, our lodge or our, <clears throat> our home base was. And so it was first hunt coming up for that year and he, wasn't familiar with that area, but it wasn't far from the lodge, but he never really hunted. He always guided different areas. And so they took him out and they said, you know how to get home? And he said, yeah. And they said, yeah, just follow the, the light in the distance from town there. That's always, he's like, yeah, I can do that. Come to find out, it was his first time up that season and the light had gone out on the tower and no one, no one noticed it or they all knew about it and forgot to tell him. So it got dark. They picked up. And so he started driving and he thought he was following the right light and he was going the completely opposite, opposite direction and went into a different town. He had no idea where he was at. Didn't have good self-service. Ended up finally getting a hold of the boss. And <laughs> poor, he was so turned around, poor guy. And he's, he's really knowledgeable about where he is 99% of the time, but he was not familiar with that part of the country because he just never guided that area. And he told his guys, they were sitting in the, the truck there, they had the trailer on and he said, guys, have you ever been lost in Saskatchewan? And they kind of looked around. And they said, no. And he goes, well, you are now, guys. <laughs> and they all kind of laughed. And they're like, so what do we do? And they ended up calling one of the owners. He's a local guy. And he was the, the owners were Canadian. And, and they ended up telling him, describing to him, they were sitting in a farmyard. And they described the farmyard to him. He goes, oh, I know who that is. I'll be there in 25, 30 minutes. Just from the, in the middle of the night, he told him, he said, yeah, this guy's got such and such equipment. And there's a green barn here in the front. And he said, oh, I'll come get you. And 30, 35 minutes later, here he comes. He comes rolling up, knew exactly where they were. And it's just, that blows my mind that those local guys, you can tell them a shrub or a bush or a pothole in the old dirt road, and they know exactly where you're at. So it's, yeah, it just, it's experience. And yeah, you can get turned around at a drop of a pen up there. It's just crazy. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, as we, uh, expanded west uh, after the purchase of uh, the Louisiana Purchase, and they started, mm-hmm. you know, gridding everything out and chopping everything up into nice, uh, you know, square sections, and then yeah. we built our roads off that and the townships and stuff. Is it similar uh, like that in Saskatchewan? Exactly, it's just straight grid roads. Um, it's grid roads, and and so that's a little bit easier to get um, to get back to where you're going. But um, yeah, that poor guy in the middle of the night, he didn't know. East, west, north, south, didn't, it didn't matter. But, you know, typically when you're out scouting and you got, you got some light, you can figure out where you need to be. But, um, it's nice too, um, with the way landowners are. A lot of times they either have a quarter section, a half section, or a full section. A full section is, uh, a grid square, which would be a mile, which I think is 640 acres or 600, I think it's 640 acres, maybe. And so, uh, when stuff's split up like that, it's, it's easier to know. So when you get permission to say, Hey, I have the east section of that or the east half section. And it just helps to be able to, so you're not trespassing on anybody else's land. You just make sure you know where you're at. Um, it's just, right. That's nice. I mean, um, having it cut up like that. Cause I mean, if it feels like in the states where there's boundary lines and fences and I mean, it, it would just be, it'd just be kind of difficult to. Make sure you know where you're going because, I mean, a lot of times you're hunting from a place and the nearest house is three or four miles, maybe even more down the road. There's just no, nothing around except fields, fields and trees and right. sloughs. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's it's it's just like that. Big grids. So now, Doyle, tell me a little bit about the team. Um, 
of Wild Valley Outfitters. Sure. I, uh, I, I'm one of the owners. Um, there's actually five owners. Um, I've kind of, I've kind of got the experience and some of the know-how and like I said, I'm not the most experienced guy, but I'm 24 years old, so I don't quite have the coin to get this thing started. But, um, um, yeah, my father is, is involved with it and my, I have three brothers, but my oldest brother's involved with it. And then I have two buddies. Um, that are owners as well. I'm going to be running the day to day and kind of be the guy in Saskatchewan. And then I've got, uh, a couple experienced guides coming. Um, uh, one from Virginia and one from North Carolina coming this year. And, uh, we got a couple locals up there that are going to be helping us some. Um, so it's going to be, I mean, I think we got a great team. We got a lot of experience. We got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of business minds on that. And that's not me. I'm the, I'm the hunting guy. So, um, I think we got it all. We got, all areas covered. I think. I think that's it's going to make us successful. We got good guys and guys that know what they're doing for for every part of it. So I'm I'm very excited. Yeah. How with how big a how big a groups do you guys run? You know, we, we like to run group of five is preferred. I mean, we'll run all the way up to eight or nine, um, but we'll accommodate anything. I mean, if it's a father and son or a guy with two sons, I mean, we'll <clears throat> we'll we'll kind of do whatever for people. Um, uh, if it, if it's two guys, sometimes we might put them with another group if we think they'll get along, um, uh, and, and hunt them together. I mean, as long as it's not going to affect everybody's hunt, we check with people, but we like to have five guys, but you know, you're not going to have, you're not going to have perfect groups all the time that, that, that want to have three or four or five buddies along. So, but yeah, we'll just, we'll accommodate whatever, but you know, I've taken groups up to 10. So, you know, it just, just depends on, on, on every on who's coming, you know, so and we got the space for it. So got, from the from the time I I arrive, uh, you you have people meet you at the the lodge. Is that yeah. where you have them meet it? Yeah, we have people meet us at the lodge. If you drive in, you drive to the lodge, you fly in. Um, we like people to to grab a vehicle at the airport just so they have if they want to go get lunch somewhere. Um, <clears throat> during the day, um, or they want to go see the sights, so they want to go check out the lake that they saw that morning hunting or whatever. It's just nice to have a vehicle around. Um, but yeah, they just meet us at the lodge. Uh, you come in, uh, we'll get, you, make sure you got your, your, um, licenses and your, and whatever else taken care of. Um, just kind of meet the guys, meet the team. And then we'll just kind of go over, um, what we're going to be doing for the next couple of days, three day hunt or a five day hunt, get you settled in the lodge. And I like to ask the guys, Hey, I, I can't tailor make hunts to exact specifications. I mean, we try. If there's guys that say, hey, we're more interested in getting, <clears throat> I got some older gentlemen with us, we're more interested in going out of the stand-up blind, being a little bit more comfortable and, and doing that rather than putting on the Tyvek white suits and sitting out in the middle of the barley field on our backs and shooting snow geese. Now you'll get the young group or the whatever and they want to go out there and they want to get their shots in. So yeah, we want to go out there and shoot 20 snow geese a man or try to and we'll, we'd love to put those suits on and sit in the middle of 1200 decoys and shoot geese. So you kind of have to get a feel for what guys want to do. I mean, there's some guys, Hey, we don't want to sit and lay out blinds at all. And you know what? We, we hunt most of the time out of stand up blinds for, for comfort and stuff for guys. Um, and it doesn't really, I wouldn't say it affects the hunt, but it, it, you know, it can be the difference between shooting your birds in 45 minutes or two hours, something like that. But you know, we just try to figure out what guys want to do. Then prepare them for further days with us and then just kind of make sure we get an idea of, of what they're wanting to get out of it and, you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So we get all settled in. We go over the game plan, some specifications, mm-hmm. things like that. Then uh, that next morning, uh, what's it, you know, how far a drive, you know, is the average? Uh, you know, what's you your know, range? It just depends. Our range is so, is so long. I mean, we'll, we'll just, um, we definitely are going to let guys know, hey, we're going to either have a 20-minute drive this morning or, hey, we might have an hour drive. Now, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be a lot of birds there, but we're going to have to get up another <clears throat> whatever early to get out there and get and get everything set up and going. And, um, yeah, we just kind of pregame that the night before, get everybody on the same page so we're not running around in the morning with their heads cut off. And um, we just check with them, hey, how much time are you going to need to be comfortable to get ready in the morning? Uh, we're going to be ready at this time and then tail lights it this time so we tell them tail lights at 5 30 that means that we're not loading the truck at 5 30 that you can see tail lights from the lodge at 5 30 we're out of there so 
um, that's kind of like we try to set that up and just make a game plan so everybody's kind of on the same page and then get up in the morning and get going. And then, um, yeah, once we get to the field, um, we usually have a guide and a scout there helping set up. And um, <clears throat> we give the guys the option. Hey, if you want to drink coffee, sit over by the trailer, sit in the truck, stay warm, whatever, we'll set it up. Now, most of the guys are going to want to get in there, kind of figure out what's going on, get their hands dirty a little bit. And we, we welcome that. I mean, that's part of the hunting experience for the most part. And um, usually send a couple guys with uh, one of the guides to set decoys and one of the guys with the, one of the guides or scout to set up blinds or wherever we're going to be sitting and get stuff brushed and, and just kind of do it like that and just kind of team it up and get everything done and, and then sit around the trailer for a little bit and BS till we think about the sun's going to come up. We're going to get a load and get out of the field and get guys situated in the blinds or whatever and, uh, get them ready to start hunting. Now, do you, do you take them out to the field or do they got to take the, the rental car or? We, we try to take them out to the field. What we do is we get a truck or a suburban and we haul our trailers with that so we can, we can put guys in. Um, now if you have an extra large group, you're going to have to take the rental to the field. Um, but we try to keep, keep from doing that just cause yeah, we know it's a rental vehicle and whatever. And it kind of, it's kind of nice to have the guys with you. Um, when you're driving out there, especially if you gotta, got some guys that want to sneak a snooze on the way out or anything like that, they can kind of chill out and hang out and not worry about getting turned around out there. So yeah, we try to do that unless it's a, unless it's a pretty big group, then when we might have to, uh, have one of them guys take a vehicle. So, but no, yeah. That's and what's the, do. what's the lodge like up there? We got, we actually have, uh, it's a fishing lodge, the, the, the most of the year. Um, I got, we're, we're actually on a lake, uh, last mountain lake, a little town there. And so it's a, it's a fishing lodge most of the year. And that, that part of the year is kind of his off season. And, uh, we kind of got a good setup with this guy and, uh, uh, the lodge sleeps, uh, 10. And, um, uh, we actually have another, little place down the just right down the road a little bit if we have extra guys or whatever um but it's just a it's kind of a homey cabin type field lots of ducks and fish and deer all over it and there's two separate living rooms and bedrooms and um uh kitchens and um we tip, we, we'll feed guys supper um we're not really we're not going to be set up this first year to feed everybody every meal this time but um but yeah we're going to do that in the future that's kind of what we're looking to do but uh yeah, it's a nice lodge. I'm I'm very excited about that. And that's kind of hard to do first year is get lodging set up. That's kind of was one of our big question marks. But I'm really happy with how this is this is turning out. I think we got a really cool place to stay this year. Well, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, and I know a couple of your guides, pretty good dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm excited to uh, get up there, see what you guys got going on. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it'll be a, I, I think... You know, I'm I'm happy to have had you on because I, you're just uh, you're you're a good dude and appreciate that. You know, when you came out when you came to me and you were like, yeah, I just want to help people. You know, try to to hunt in Canada mm-hmm. uh, because it's so amazing and I think it's something that everybody should experience and and that's what really like caught my uh, attention with you and I was like, hey, yeah, let's let's do this. You know, it's just a bucket. So. It's just a bucket list trip for a lot of a lot of serious waterfowlers or just waterfowlers in general. And you know what? It's just there. I, I don't know if there's a little bit of a stigma that it, it's an unattainable trip, but we want to make it as attainable for, for everybody as we can. And it's like I said, it's a bucket list trip. And it's <laughs> I kind of feel bad for guys that come up and do it because then they're addicted and they're like, oh, man, it ruins hunting for me back at home, especially for people from Virginia and stuff like they're not used to, to lots of birds and stuff like that. And they go up to Canada and it. it I always thought it would kind of ruin duck hunting for me at home, and I'm thankfulness it hasn't. But um, yeah, you get spoiled up there, man. It's just it's unbelievable, just unbelievable. Well, hey, I really appreciate uh, you coming onto the show and uh, dropping some knowledge for the listeners. Yeah, man. Uh, so once again, this is uh, Doyle Weaver with uh, Wild Valley Outfitters up in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And uh, where can they get a hold of you, Doyle? They can get a hold of us, of us on Facebook at Wild Valley Outfitters or um, uh, Instagram, uh, Wild Valley Outfitters, and then also on our website, same thing. And um, I'll tell you what, um, give me a call. My number's on the website and the Facebook or slide into our DMs, whatever, man. Just 
just uh, get a hold of us. <laughs> Even if you want to talk duck hunting, give me a shout, man. I just love it. I eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. So tired of this summer stuff. I'm ready to start shooting spurs again. Awesome. Well, I'll let you get back to work and uh, look forward to uh, meeting you here in the future. And yeah, man. Uh, just appreciate all the information. I appreciate it, man. I really do. All right, Doyle. Have a good one. You too, man. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can press all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither, but hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today.